0: Well, good morning. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope you're getting ready for uh, the Christmas season. Uh, Well, I guess we're in the season. I I hope you're getting ready for Christmas because that's what's coming uh, very, very quickly. And um, I I hope that you're excited uh, about the coming celebration. I know uh, there's certainly a lot of excitement going on in my household um, as we get closer and closer. You know, last week we talked about that anticipation of Christmas. Uh last week the the carol that we sang and that we talked about was O Come O Come Emmanuel and we talked about how really that is a a, a song that sung from a cry of anticipation of of anxiously awaiting uh God to fulfill his promise and and to bring about the savior and we talked about how uh you know remembering back to what it was like to be um younger and, and looking forward into anticipation of, of Christmas and the excitement that comes along with that. Uh, I remember um, being young and and just it, it was almost like the days, especially when you were still in school, could not go fast enough you know every day in school was as slow as possibly could be, like that week leading up to Christmas. Um, Teachers as well. So you don't grow out of that. It's just, it's it's something embedded within a school building, I guess. Um, And so just remembering that anxious awaiting, you couldn't, there's so much excitement, right? And it was because you knew what was coming, right? You knew, you knew what December 25th brought. You, you didn't know the specifics, that's what made it so exciting, but you knew what was coming. You knew, ultimately, presents were coming. But there were other lots of great things. There were some days off of school and lots of Christmas treats and cookies and all of that stuff, but, but you knew what was coming. In the same way, even though they didn't know all the details, those in the Old Testament, they knew what was coming. That's what brought about this anxious awaiting. We also talked last week about how you and I are in that present state, anxiously awaiting for Jesus to return, for him to come once again, to finish what he started. And it's built into that anxious awaiting, this hope, because we know what's coming. We read a number of scriptures last week as we were closing out the message about what it is that we're waiting for, about what it is that Christ is coming once again to bring. And there's so much hope and anticipation because we know what's coming. We don't know all the details, but ultimately we know what's coming. But there's another kind of anxious awaiting. And it's the kind that we sung about briefly today in "O Holy Night." We sang words like this: "Long lay the world in sin and error pining; a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices." The weary world. See, there's there, there's a anxious awaiting when you know what's coming, but there's a different kind of anxious awaiting when you don't know what's coming. It's the difference between waiting for Christmas morning to show up and waiting for a doctor's report. Those are very different kinds of anxious waiting. Uh, I'll never forget when I was uh, 18... Um, I was actually out of town. It was uh, summer break. I had already graduated high school. I was just a few weeks away from uh, moving off and going to college. I was out of town and uh, was actually in a meeting. And someone ran into the meeting and said, Adam, 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 you have to come. Like, you have to go. And I'm in the middle of the meeting. I'm like, uh, what's going on? And they're like, you have a phone call. You must take it. I'm like, okay. So I go, I pick up the phone. It's my dad. My dad said, Your mom has just been metaflited to the hospital. He had come home from work. And my mom, it's summer and, um, you know, lots of uh, sunshine and heat in Oklahoma, but she was out doing yard work, gardening, uh, doing something in the flower beds. And when my dad came home from work, she was laying unconscious outside in the, in the, the landscaping. Um, not knowing what had happened or how long she had been there. Obviously called 911. They sent the helicopter. I was I lived out in the country. Sent the helicopter to come uh, land on our front yard um, and uh, to, to take her to the hospital. And so, uh, of course, I immediately jump in a vehicle and I'm out of town, but I'm headed back into town. So my dad is there. My older brother had just gotten engaged and him and his brand new fiance had just left for a cruise. And so they were unreachable out of the country. And my sister and her husband lived in Kansas City at the time. Uh, he was going; My brother-in-law was going to medical school. And so they were, I don't even remember what that drive is. What is it, 10 hours from Kansas City to Oklahoma City, something like that? Uh, maybe not that I don't know. It doesn't matter. They were a while. And so it was me and my little brother and my dad. And just as I got there with my little brother, we walk in, meet my dad, and the doctors bring us back. Uh, take us back to the emergency room where she is and tell us that she has had a brain aneurysm and several mini-strokes is is what had happened. And so uh, the doctor tells us, uh, so a third of people with a brain aneurysm die instantly. A third die either on the way to the hospital or, or just right as they arrive. And the other third will live with, obviously, the complications that come with traumatic brain injury. So he tells us that and says, but it's time for you to leave now. And because they need to begin doing some work on my mom. So we go into, um, into the waiting room and sit down. And, and it's that moment where you're like, I don't actually know what to do. Right. You ever been at that moment where you're like, what, what are you, what are you supposed to do at that point? Like, you know, um, of course, um, because of the family that I was raised in, we grabbed each other's hands and began praying. Um, and we sat there for a long time. And eventually they moved her out of the emergency room um, into the ICU. And uh, we spent the next three weeks every day just sitting, just sitting in the, emergency, in, in the, in the waiting room of the ICU. Uh, she was in too critical condition to do the necessary brain surgery that they needed to do and just sitting there and at one point the doctor calls us in, and um, I'm by no means a medical professional, but you, you know the IV stands that they have, and and I don't know how many hooks they have. They probably have 10 hooks on an IV stand if you maxed them all out maybe, 9, 10. So she had three IV stands that were all full of whatever. I, I don't know what all it was, but full, all three. The doctor said, if we don't get her down to one stand in the next 48 hours, it's over. For whatever reasons, for the different kinds of medications they're on. And he noticed that we had been praying. So he said, if you want something to pray about, you pray that we can get down to one IV stand in the next 48 hours. And so we began that process of just praying. Um, and and he had told us at that point, you, you need to make a decision now. You need to start thinking through at what point will you pull the plug. You're going to have to think through that now before it really becomes time. And um, The sitting there in the waiting room and waiting, waiting to know what's going to happen next, waiting to know what the next time the doctor or the nurse walks in and says the doctor would like to see you, no, wondering what, what's coming. That waiting is very different than the waiting for Christmas morning when you're 12 or 8 or 4 both anxiously awaiting, but they're very, very different. And part of what we just sang on O Holy Night is, is a recognition that the world was in this place of, yes, there are parts of it we're anxiously awaiting, the fulfillment of God's promise. We don't know the details, but we know what's coming. And part of it was this anxious awaiting because there was a very heavy weight on the shoulders of the world. This, this weary world is waiting and wondering what's in store for its future. We have all probably had those moments. Some of your stories, and I know them, are more extreme than mine. And maybe some of you, you don't have quite a, a dramatic story that you could share, but we've all felt the weight on our shoulders that at times feels almost unbearable. Those moments when you lay in bed and you know it's a waste of time because you're not going to sleep. But what else is there to do? When you lay in bed and you can feel your heart rate rising, you're not working out, you're not running, you're not doing anything, you can just feel your blood pressure and your heartbeat rising, because there's this weariness, and maybe it has to do with uh, with a health condition or an emergency or something that is going on in your life, or maybe it's just the stress of life, and wondering what does the future hold. And as we sing and recognize this weary world, we come to the chorus and we sing, "O oh, holy night, O oh, night." Divine, what makes this night any different than the millions of nights that have passed before? What makes this baby different than the millions of babies that have been born before this? What is it that makes this night holy? What is it that makes this night so different that we could call it not a regular night, not an earthly night, not a human night? We'd call it a night divine. In John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, John begins a poetic introduction to the story of Jesus, laying the groundwork and the framework for what he's going to spend the next 21 chapters describing. And he starts his story like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the word and something's going to happen so that that Word begins to shine light in the darkness. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word, The Word was with God and the Word was God, and then the Word becomes flesh. This light, the light that pushes back darkness, all of a sudden enters into human space, enters into the human timeline. And something is different. Something has radically changed. So that while there is a weary world and while there is darkness, on this side of that moment, on this side of that holy night, of that divine night, we can now say and sing a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. That the weariness becomes replaced by joy, by rejoicing. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul um, has spent the first seven chapters basically laying the groundwork for the sinfulness of all humanity. Essentially what he does is he puts everyone on the same footing. We are all equally sinful. We are all equally under the, the penalty of sin. We are all equally in the same stance in regards to grace and disgrace. It doesn't matter where you come from or who you are. We're all in the same place. Chapter 1, he talks about those who are normally referred to as Gentiles, non-Jews, who though God has begun to reveal himself through creation and the world in which he has made, that They have categorically denied him and refused to acknowledge him and live their own way. In chapter 2, he switches to the people who do have the law. And talks about how you have the law, but you're just as guilty because you've got it in written form and you don't do it. And so for the next first seven chapters, Paul is going to lay the groundwork for putting everybody on the same page. And he's going to talk about what Christ has done to bring about life for us, what Christ has done to to give us the spirit. And he says he talks about the the written law. He talks about kind of the law of sin and death meaning because we're sinful what Penalty and payment is due us. And then in Romans chapter 8, he begins like this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for god has done what the law Weakened by the flesh, weakened by our own self-interest, by our own um, self-gratifying desires and actions and behaviors. The law could not do, because of our sin, what we needed. What we needed was that righteous requirement fulfilled, and we couldn't do it. So God stepped in and did for us what the law could not do. And he did it by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to come and condemn sin. The Word comes in the likeness of sinful flesh. The Word is made flesh so that God could do what we could not. This night becomes holy and divine because of what God has done, because of what God is at work doing. And it changes how we define and recognize this night so that as Paul can say in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus we're all on equal sinful footing. It doesn't matter if you have the law or not. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how good you are, how many Bible verses you have memorized, or how many gold stars you got on your you know, church attendance tracking chart in Sunday school. Some of you actually remember those. It doesn't matter if you didn't have the law you didn't have a great set of rules to follow we're all on equal footing and all equally condemned but because of the because of what christ has done and for those who are found in christ that word that's an identity statement right it didn't it didn't say for those who believe in the historical Christ. In the historical Jesus, for those who recognize that he was a good moral philosopher or a really smart guy, but for those who are in him, for those whose identity is recognized as being in him, not just believe in him, not just recognize who he is, but for those who are in him, there is no more (laughs) condemnation. Paul's going to go on, and I'd like to pick it up in verse 31 in Romans chapter 8. Maybe you're using our Bibles, maybe you have the Bible app open, those scriptures are laid out for you there. Romans eight thirty-one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. who is indeed, Who, in, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? If God steps into history to do something, to act on your behalf, who can deny that? Who can stop it? Verse 37, he'll continue. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That weariness no longer has to define you. That that heavy weight on your shoulders no longer controls your life. Because God has acted on our behalf. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus himself felt the weight of this world. It's one of the reasons why the writer of Hebrews, the the letter that we call Hebrews, in talking about Jesus, compares Jesus to a high priest, which was the the person in charge of the the temple, the Jewish temple, who oversaw all the other priests who once a year would make a, 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 a sin offering on the Day of Atonement for the entire nation. And he says, for we now have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, For he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus understands the weight that comes along with living in a weary world and living in a place that there is darkness. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, felt that weight. As he drops to his knees and begins praying, And and in his prayer, he prays out, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, your will. Luke, who was a physician, actually records part of that moment. And in it, he says that Jesus begins sweating drops of blood. It's an actual medical condition called hematidrosis when you, you you've felt the weight of stress before in your life, right? I, I feel it in my lower back. When I'm really stressed, it's my lower back that hurts. Some of you you get headaches, maybe other parts that that's a physical manifestation of stress. And in certain times, stress can become so intense and so so powerful that the pressure inside your body can force your capillaries to burst and the blood mixes in your sweat glands. And Luke, the physician, tells us that as Jesus is on his knees praying, he begins sweating blood under the weight and the pressure of what's coming. John 12, 27. Jesus reflecting. This is not in the Bible app. But if you want to follow along with me, you can. It won't be on the screen, but I'll read it for you. And and processing through what's coming says this Now, my soul is troubled. Knowing what's coming, knowing the weight of the world that'll be on his shoulders, the weight of sin and God's wrath on him, the pain and the torture that is within 24 hours. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus asks his disciples this rhetorical question. What am I supposed to pray? God, save me from this? No. This is why I came. Father, glorify your name. This night is so holy and so divine because it begins the process of God entering into human history to do what we are totally incapable of doing. It begins the moment when God begins acting on our behalf. Jesus did many great things, taught many powerful things, set a lot of things in motion, but his ultimate purpose for coming was to die, was to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so while the world was weary, full of weight, there's now hope and the world can rejoice because God has stepped in to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's what makes the night so holy. Not just because a baby was born, but because a process had begun. Because all of human history becomes fractured at that moment. Because of what God has done. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for our time here. And I pray that um, in one moment that we would, in some sense, feel the weight of the moment, feel the weight and the holiness of that night. Yet in the same moment, at the same time, ask that, Lord, you would help us by removing that burden, that weight, that weariness on our shoulders that we so often feel the need to carry. This need to perform, this need to be good enough, this need to have results, this need to impress others, this need to succeed. recognition that you have done ultimately what really needed to be done, that we can find satisfaction and hope in you, and that despite the weariness all around us, we can rejoice. I want to ask that you pray with me, if you'll just continue in that attitude of prayer for a moment. While there's a lot of excitement that comes with Christmas, there can also be a lot of weariness. The holidays can bring a lot of stress. And it could be stress of time, not enough time to get everything done. It could be a stress of family. You know that Maybe you're gonna have to be around some people that are difficult to be around, or maybe there's someone who you wish was around, but they're not here anymore to be around at the holidays. It could be the stress of money, trying to figure out how to pay for everything that you want to do and provide at this season. There's a lot of weariness But God has acted on our behalf so that despite the darkness, despite the heavy weight around us, we can find joy and we can rejoice. Don't allow the hectic schedule and craziness of this season to distract you from the holiness of the moment, from the holiness of what we are here to celebrate together in a moment Jay and the, the band are going to lead us and continued worship we're gonna we're gonna have an opportunity to sing Oh Holy Night once again to celebrate what this moment represents but I'm gonna ask you just to spend a moment just a few seconds just giving God your cares giving him your worries, giving him your stress. Ask him for that freedom to celebrate this holy moment, free of anxiety and worry and weariness. Jesus, thank you for who you are and the moment that you've given us here in this this time to celebrate, to worship, to recognize the power what it is that we're here to to remember, Lord? We love you. We thank you. We praise in your name.